0: Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. This is the first of a two-part podcast where the Chief Information Security Officer for Unisys, Matt Newfield, will share some insights into how Unisys was able to get nearly 20,000 employees working remotely in just a few days and do so without compromising security. Matt, I know that you are incredibly busy working with clients all over the world, so thank you for taking some time to share your insights with our audience today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you taking the time for this conversation.
0: Now, in part one of this podcast, I'd like to focus on the technology that makes remote working possible while maintaining high security standards, and then in part two, we'll talk about the human side of things, if that's okay with you, Matt. Yeah, I think that's great. Now, to start us off, what exactly are you seeing as you meet with enterprises about how they are reacting to the coronavirus pandemic?
1: I think one of the things we're seeing most is a bit of a scramble for a lot of organizations on how do I continue to deliver the services, the products, and the outcomes to their clients on a day to day basis when. Every day you hear about government, both regional, local mandates that people must work from home, that they cannot go out into the streets. Unfortunately, too many organizations never really thought about the need to enable a global workforce. And they were still in the belief of 20% is more than sufficient when you think of the number of people in your organization that will need to get work done. On top of that, a lot of companies are struggling both on the corporate side and the government side of how do I have my system scale? There's a lot more needs right now for access to information, for access to services that require your web environment to be very, very strong and underutilized so that you don't have major outages. And this has been a struggle.
0: No matter what is what's different about this coronavirus pandemic that makes it especially challenging for organizations to quickly turn on their business continuity plan and get their employees working productively at home.
1: One of the reasons I think it's been a struggle for so many is when they think about emergency preparedness, nobody ever really went through a pandemic of this size, right? We always think something's going to happen within a region maybe a city, maybe one facility, maybe two facilities, but not all of our facilities. And these world-impacting events really do bring home for people that they have to start thinking differently.
0: I spoke with one uh, enterprise just recently and uh, questions were raised. Well, what about our security processes, you know, what about this checkpoint? What about this approval and this mad rush to get thousands of virtual desktops hosted in the cloud and have the business to continue running? And the answer was, don't worry about those security things right now. We just got to get these people working remote. I mean, is there a danger there in, in that type of thinking? It's
1: huge. It's a huge danger. It's a, It's actually a really big problem. And I, I don't believe that many organizations realize that The things they do today will have lasting and unfortunately for some potentially detrimental consequences. At no point can you take security as a secondary in a mad rush to enable a workforce because there are plenty of organizations, nation state actors, and just general bad guys that are out there that are ready to exploit you doing that. We all know That that's an unfortunate place that a lot of companies are going, and they're ready to take advantage of you. And the seeds that you sow today could really have, like I said, those real detrimental impacts.
0: I like that you mentioned thinking about it in terms of seeds and bypassing certain security policies or processes today in this mad rush to get people working remotely. Those seeds can cause or maybe will cause pain later. What are some examples of that that you can think of where there's things that people might be doing today that seem okay right now, but they will pay for later?
1: So there are a few right off the top of my head. For a lot of companies, they're in a mad rush to get equipment to their end users that may not have had that equipment before. So they're distributing laptops and desktops out. They're distributing with, let's say, a, a VPN client and giving people access into the infrastructure, but they haven't gone through the necessary steps to make sure the hard drives on those laptops are encrypted. Appropriate security tools on those endpoints to make sure that they don't infect the rest of the company. Do you have split tunneling turned on your VPN? Do you have a policy and training that says, hey, you now have this nice laptop to work from home, but you should not let your friends use it? Your kids use it, your parents use it, your siblings use it. It's for work only. The problem with remote connectivity for a lot of organizations, you've really gotten rid of the concept of four walls, which is once everything comes into my building, to my floor, to my center, I can control everything that happens. Well, now those four walls are gone. People could be working from Uh, a cafe. They could be working from an apartment complex where everybody in the apartment complex can see the uh, wireless access point that you sent an employee but didn't have properly secured. People can see that you have default passwords still set on those endpoints, the wireless access points you've sent out. That couldn't be a problem. So you can start seeing how this can really snowball if you don't set things up in advance and trying to get those remote employees to do the right thing after the fact. And what I mean by that is, hey, we need you to install this EDR technology for us or this antivirus technology. It doesn't really help at that point because now you're relying on them doing it, doing it correctly instead of having those central
0: controls. Now, I know in in many cases, the CISO is viewed, unfortunately, as, well, I'll just say it, the office of no, uh, a barrier to letting IT move forward. So Matt, where do you see the balance between moving forward quickly with an important initiative, such as what we're dealing with right now, enabling remote workers during a pandemic, and doing so securely?
1: If you really step back and think about it, If you want to enable a remote workforce, if you have to update your policies, if you have to update procedures for your organization, now is the time to do them securely. If you have a security organization, if you have a security partnership that is of any caliber, they will also understand the situation and hopefully prove that they're not the organization of no. But the organization of, let me explain how to do this the correct way, so that you don't have a problem in the future where you get everybody working from home, and the next thing you know, data's been stolen, equipment's gone, you didn't think to encrypt the laptops you sent, and someone stole the laptop from someone's apartment or their house, uh, et cetera. So you really do have to think through the security side, and it is going to be a
0: huge problem. I've heard you talk a lot, Matt, about zero trust. And, uh, you know, some people would say, oh man, one more buzzword (laughs) to worry about. But the reality is, if I understand you correctly, enterprises that have given some thought to zero trust, as opposed to focusing on the traditional decades old thinking of securing the perimeter. So moving from securing the perimeter to zero trust, they're in much better shape to be able to make it possible for employees to work from home. Why is that? What What is special about thinking about Zero Trust that makes that possible?
1: Zero Trust, let's start at the beginning of it, and I'll only take a second to explain, but it it really is just a mindset. If you start with the fact that it is a brand new mindset of how you build an infrastructure and how you manage the controls of your infrastructure, you can start to see why it is so important in everyday decisions, not only by people who are in the security roles, your CISOs or head of security, but your infrastructure roles as well and getting your CIO and the people that work for that individual to to see the changes that need to occur. Zero Trust at its foundation is not trusting anything that happens today there are no trusted zones there are no trusted connections there are no trusted assets and there are no trusted actions some people may take that as a real negative like how dare you not trust me but that's not the point the point is we're all human we all make mistakes we all click the link right if you think about the phishing you know the percentages of people who make mistakes when it comes to cyber hygiene is monumental not because people aren't smart, but we're busy and it happens. The analogy is driving. Accidents happen every day, every single day. And for a majority of the people that get into accidents, they're good drivers. They're good people. They're smart people. But things still happen. And it's the same in our world. So if you take that zero trust mentality, you can expand out in a situation like this and understand that, okay, I have to enable someone to work remotely, but I shouldn't trust that asset that's coming in. I shouldn't trust every action that they're doing. And I shouldn't have an environment that once they give me their credentials, they're free to roam for as long as they'd like to roam. And again, as an IT or cyber professional, you can start thinking through even little changes you can make to a remote access policy to help free things up, right? You can do things like there are many organizations that once you connect remotely, you have an unlimited amount of time to stay connected. That's probably not a good idea because if my machine has been compromised and I give perpetual connectivity back into my infrastructure, I give an unlimited amount of time for a bad actor to do bad things. You should probably continually authenticate people once they're in the environment. And there are methodologies that you can employ in your identity and access management infrastructure to make that seamless for an end user. It doesn't have to be hard to do. You can start thinking about encrypting a lot of the traffic so that things aren't in the clear And you would think about upping your monitoring capabilities. You should be looking at everything, especially when you have such a hugely expanded work-from-home
0: work group. Matt, as as I sit here, as we're recording this podcast, I'm realizing that here I am, you know, an example of this effort to, you know, make it possible for employees to easily work from home. But I know here at Unisys, this is not something that we did thinking, you know, two years ago, oh, coronavirus, you know, COVID-19, those were, those were words that weren't even known, right? right. We didn't do it because of that. But there are several things from a technology point of view, that you as a CISO, and others uh, at Unisys have put into place to make it easy. For me, here I am, I'm I'm sitting at an Airbnb in uh, North Carolina, I've got great internet connection, and I'm able to do my job. Uh, very effectively because of the the technology that's put in place. Just as if I was at our headquarters in Bluebell or if I was at an office in Reston uh, or at my home office in Michigan, you and others have made it possible for me to have the technology to do this work. But I don't understand all the pieces of that technology. I know that I don't have a VPN. That's crazy. It's almost heresy for some uh, CIOs to hear that or CISOs even, you know, why do I not have a VPN and I'm connecting to the corporate content? How have you made this possible? Can you explain a little bit about that technology?
1: Sure. To explain it, we have to step back a little bit. Uh, the Unisys CIO, pinder Fonda, and I, two years ago, sat down to have some discussions on some core concepts that we believed in. And one of those things that we believe in jointly is this concept of zero trust. And this concept of a lot of the legacy methodologies for how to build and manage an infrastructure just don't work anymore. And one of those is the legacy VPN concept or remote connectivity concept, where everybody comes to a central system, they authenticate, and they're given generally carte blanche access into the environment. We don't like it. Uh, I don't believe in it. I think it is a a significant risk to corporations because if someone were to find a vulnerability on that appliance or with those applications, uh, they're in your environment. Um, And the more people that are connecting to it is the harder it is to spot what's going on. So back then, we decided we're going to do something different. So we have our stealth platform. And we had deployed that for the creation of communities of interest on our journey through micro segmentation quite a while ago. And we realized pretty quickly that we can extend these COIs to be able to give our associates access to internal assets, whether they're internal because they're behind a firewall or they're internal because they're sitting within our infrastructure or in our cloud infrastructure, we can give you secure point-to-point access without the need for a VPN. So we started to deploy this well over a year ago. And what you see today was the ability to take a very large workforce and move them home with no additional costs, with no downtime, with no new infrastructure, and with no impact to productivity. We had approximately 15% of our workforce working from home. We're at 93% today. And we did that in under 48 hours. We were able to get people up and working from home around the world. And that's a huge testament to thinking differently. You know, It is very common for CIOs and CISOs to fight, but there are many things we should be coming together on. And I'm very lucky here at Unisys that the CIO and I get along incredibly well and are able to see eye to eye on so many of these things to enable our associates.
0: Got a podcast scheduled with Upinder a little bit later, and I'm looking forward to picking his brain too and getting to a little bit more of the details on this. Looking at it from the security side of things in in particular, you know, I mentioned earlier zero trust. Some people view that as just a buzzword, but if I understood what you just explained here about how it is you've made it possible for me and 93% of our companies, employees to work from home right now in this situation is making use of stealth so that instead of having a connection through a VPN into the corporate network where I can see everything, you still don't trust me. (laughs) You give me a connection for each of the applications that I need that tie back into the corporate environment, whether it's web time or it's HR or Workday or even my office and productivity tools. Each of those has its own community of interest and you can shut those down if, if you detect that I've gone rogue. Yep. In fact, I've seen a great demo that you do of that, you call it dynamic isolation. Would you mind explaining that? I know it'd be great to be able to show that to our, our, our listeners here, but uh, as best we can to describe it.
1: Absolutely, so to your point on the, the first part of the comment, instead of giving you access to an environment, which is traditional VPN, you get access to the server, the open ports, the applications, et cetera. What we do is we give you the ability to connect to a system, but not the entire system, just the ports needed for the delivery of whatever service that system is giving you. You don't have any access, any access to the back-end database, the back-end infrastructure, the supporting infrastructure, or even the rest of the server there. And it significantly reduces your threat landscape because if you have a problem on your machine and it attacks, it is attacking a particular port and not an entire environment. We then took it one step further and you brought up dynamic isolation. I believe that there are certain truths within uh, an infrastructure that have a very low probability of false positives. One of the easiest ones is network reconnaissance. We have a belief here that no asset should be doing network reconnaissance, endpoint assets, laptops, desktops, those kinds of things, and no normal user account should ever have the ability to do that. What's interesting is it is the first thing that happens almost every time a machine is infected or compromised. They are looking for other assets to infect or they are looking around to see where are they. The perpetrator wants to know, okay, I I just got control of a machine. What network am I on? What other assets can I see? And they perform this network reconnaissance. So what we've done is develop this dynamic isolation concept where if a machine and an identity, and that is key here, um, violate a policy that you have technically set we can create what is known as a community of interest of one. And really what we're doing is cryptographically isolating the asset in question and the associated identity. And why that's important is you don't want the perpetrator, let's say they've compromised a credential set. I don't want them on a machine. They get kicked from that machine, so they re-authenticate in the environment and try to access another machine with those same credentials. We take them both away. What's also very cool about dynamic isolation, the asset in question does not realize it's been isolated. It will continue to try to propagate whatever malware it has, but it can't get out. You know, the inside joke here is it's like the roach motel. If they get in, they cannot get out. And that is a very powerful thing because it leaves your system forensically sound. We're not going to run into a problem where we're breaking a device, we're rebooting a device, we're shutting a system off. Because if you do that in a breach scenario, a lot of times you've ruined any ability to do the analysis to figure out, who did it what were they doing what were they trying to get what did they get right and you know those things become very difficult to deal with with our di concept it's much easier to figure out what's going on we also have the ability to tie that into sims for example idp and other systems that you may have in your infrastructure that can provide you intelligence we just take the action
0: So does that speed up in any way, the detection and isolation of a rogue device? It absolutely does.
1: If you think of a community of interest, and let's say there's 100 endpoints have joined this community of interest to access a time management system within our infrastructure. And one of those assets starts to perform network reconnaissance within the community of interest. In under 10 seconds, that asset will be removed from the community and put into its own isolated environment. The end user, whoever's sitting at the console will be notified, hey, this is what just happened. Your system is dynamically isolated and we will call the number on record for the owner of this asset, right? And you're done. And the user account is also disabled. So you not only protect the enterprise, but you also protect the micro segment or the community of interest. It's a very powerful way to think about your environment and a huge component of zero trust for us.
0: So I'm just imagining Matt, if I'm sitting here browsing the internet and, and, and clicking on some very uh, appealing clickbait article about COVID-19. Exactly. <laughs> and it turns out to be malware because this being a corporate machine that you're managing through Stealth, I may still be able to click on that article and browse the internet, but you've dynamically isolated me from the rest of the corporate environment. I can't get to web time, HR, Workday. I can't infect any of my colleagues' machines, but I can still use basic functions on the laptop. That's pretty interesting.
1: Exactly, and that's why we call it dynamic. We, You can set policy to say, you know, it's a, it's a laptop. You no longer have access to the environment to which we're responsible, but I'm going to still give you outbound 80 and 443 access so you can surf the uh, internet while we call you, right? You can do all sorts of things like that to lessen the impact of bad behaviors and compromises
0: on your end users. Well, it's a great story, Matt. And that brings to a close part one of this interview with Matt Newfield, the Chief Information Security Officer for Unisys. So if our listeners were taking notes, they will have captured several great tips in planning how to make it possible for their employees to work remotely, while at the same time, keeping the enterprise secure. Matt, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today.
1: It was my pleasure. I really do appreciate the opportunity. I hope you have a great day.
0: Now in part two of this podcast interview with Matt Newfield, we'll switch gears. Part one focused on the technologies that can help keep employees secure while working remotely. But in part two, we're going to ask Matt to share some insights into the human aspect of working remotely while doing so securely. We hope you join us. You've been listening to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thanks for listening.